It's the Matt Collins Show. It's the Matt Collins Show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hey, hey, hello there. Hello, friends. Hello, friend. Uh, I am speaking directly to you. Yes, you. Uh, <laughs> uh, don't be creepy, Matt. Don't be creepy. Uh, you're new at this. You're still establishing yourself as a podcaster. Don't be creepy. Like, get let people warm up to you. Like, save that weird, creepy shit for episode 50, okay? All right. Noted. Noted. Hey, hey, how's it going? Um, it's episode 13 of the Matt Collick Show. We made it. We made it to episode 13. Uh, it's 3.17 p.m. on Sunday, July 12th, uh, six days since I released, uh, recorded and released the previous episode. I had promised that I would record and release this episode within the week. Uh, so I'm going to record it, but I'm going to release this uh, with episode 14. So episodes 13 and 14 are going to be released in tandem, uh, which is an, a fact you are already aware of <laughs> since you're listening to this. Uh, this reminds me of that Mr. Show sketch, the pre-taped call-in show sketch, um, which I think is from season three or four. Uh, look it up. It's uh, it's that it's that sort of deal. Hey, um, how's it going? It's uh, it's it's Sunday. I'm recording podcasts today. I'm feeling good. Uh, the air is thick with the smoke of Acapulco Gold, Acapulco Gold <laughs> cannabis, uh, which is a strain I didn't really, um, I don't know, I, I wasn't too excited about because it's like it seems like a like an old school 1970s Cheech and Chong strain that probably isn't very good considering how far we've come with, with cannabis uh, here in, in 2020. Um, but damn, uh, it is the same strain, but it's like produced with modern genetics and it's, it's, it's delicious and it, it does what it's supposed to. The effects are outstanding. Uh, just 20% THC, great daytime strain. Uh, great for sitting down and recording some podcasts on a hot, hot summer day. Ah, yes. So yeah, today is uh, Sunday, July 12th. I'm going to talk to you a little bit today about where the music comes from. I think that's going to be the episode title today. Uh, I'm going to ask the question, where does the music come from? And I'm going to explore that idea uh, and and kind of tie in. These are actually, the, today's episode will be, uh, this episode, episode 13, will be based on notes I had for episode 12, uh, the previous one. Um, which, uh, in which I talked about like what I'm going to do moving forward as a musician. Um, in that episode, I, I talked a lot about, and Annie pointed this out, uh, my partner, Annie Sanchez of Mariposa Strategies, go to mariposastrategies.com. She pointed out the fact that I use the words power and influence a lot in that episode. And yeah, I did use them a lot. And, um, her point, and, um, I, I, I wasn't thinking of this was that, you know, kind of the whole deal right now is white people are ceding their power and influence. And here I am talking about how I want power and influence. Um, and that might've come across like pretty tone deaf. Um, and I, I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. I, I, I think what I'm trying to say, and if you're a listener of the podcast, uh, you, you probably understand, I can't assume, but you probably understand that what I mean is like, I'm somebody who like I, I don't have a bunch of fans. Like I don't run a company. Like I'm, I'm self-employed, so I technically do run a company. But I, like, I don't have 
like other than like the normal built-in white privilege, I don't have a whole lot of power and influence that to to cede to anybody. Uh, what I want to do is like get some so I can cede it, but it's also like power in in more of a like a spiritual sense. Like I want to step into my power and stand in power alongside um, black artists and individuals in the music industry. That That's kind of what I was going for. Uh, and influence. I want to be influential. I, I want my voice to be heard. I want to land. I want to make an impact. Um, but of course, if you, you know, you listen to the episode, I, I hope you understand that it's like an impact alongside black voices um, and, and underrepresented people. Um, you know, I'm I'm trying to do a thing. I'm trying to be Matt Colick, the 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 notable musician and podcaster. So it, it's like, yeah, I'm trying to do that, but I'm trying to do that in a gentlemanly way, in a way that uh, like re- respects other people, in a way that challenges uh, the old ways of thinking and the oppressive uh, like colonizer ways of thinking uh, that dominate the industry. Like I I want to like be helpful alongside the people who are innovating what's what's going to be the new music industry which is um it's it's that that's really what what should be the end goal for any of us who are musical artists i i feel like um as we're expressing ourselves and expressing our truth and and all that so uh, there's that that was uh, that was episode 12 and i hope you listened to that and, and enjoyed it um Let's see what else has been going on. Yeah, this this episode will be sort of an extension of, of that one. So I'm going to I'm going to talk about music more in a general sense and how I've been influenced by so many black artists and black culture and how so many of us have. But also it's sort of like appropriation doesn't begin to describe like what what is actually going on when a white person like in our culture plays music that 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 could be described as black music like there, there's more going on than appropriation and I want to talk about an article Wesley Morris wrote for the New York Times as part of their uh, 1619 project um, that examined 400 years of uh, slavery in the United States basically um yeah yeah so th- that's what today's episode is going to be about um and it's it's like a challenging topic to to talk about because like uh, it's it, it, it's tricky and there are issues of like ownership and and like who who deserves the credit for things uh you know what is innovation in music and who are the innovators and like what is what is stealing what is theft what is the consent involved in, in all of this um and, and like where does music come from um I don't think it really like it comes from people. I think people are open to it and it comes through them. And so that makes it tricky too to talk about and to be um and and to be um it makes it tricky tricky to talk about especially through the lens of race um and to be respectful and to to recognize like a bunch of like actual harms like real harms have been done to uh to black artists in this in this industry and to black people in this industry um yeah um just because it's like any industry that's sprouted up in this culture it's 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 patriarchal it's it's white dominated uh it's it's it comes from white supremacy it's you know all the stuff and i'm gonna get into that more later this is just the intro ah. Another episode, I'm going to do that episode, uh, this episode, I'm going to do episode 14 also, I'm going to try to do that today, um, which, so two in a day, um, I'm also going to do a bonus episode, so episode 
13 will be where the music comes from. Episode 14 is uh, about other stuff. And episode uh, 13 and a half will slot between them. And that will be a bonus episode for patrons only. Patrons who uh, subscribe at the $5 level. So go to patreon.com forward slash Matt Collick to sign up there. And you can hear the bonus episodes. There are two so far, I believe. And then this one will uh, will be available with the one you're listening to right now. Uh, the bonus episode is going to be all about gear. I've been thinking about gear and guitar stuff and like um, like stuff, objects, things to advance my musical progress and uh, become a guitar person. Um and there's a lot to talk about with that, but it's not really, I don't know, appropriate for the main feed. It's it's like a little Nietzsche and Nietzsche, not 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 the uh, not the German philosopher, but uh, like N I C H E hyphen Y Nietzsche. Um, so that's going to be the bonus episode. So I'm going to tease that by um, I met a, a musician I admire over the week weekend, a member of one of my very favorite bands of all time. Um, the band Deerhoof is a four-piece sort of experimental noise art rock band that also is just like their songs are just super fucking catchy. I don't normally listen to like noisy art rock stuff, but their songs are super fucking catchy. Uh, their two guitar players are like really cool in how they interplay uh, together and off of each other. Their drummer is one of my favorite drummers of all time. Um, the bass player and singer Satomi Matsusaki is a completely uh, idiosyncratic and and um, uh, individual performer in her own right. Um, just such a cool band. One of the guitar players is named John Dietrich, and he happens to live in Albuquerque, New Mexico. This is a fact I've known for some time. Um, never seen him around. I was poking around on Craigslist the other night, uh, looking at gear, seeing if there's anything available locally, uh, anything that could satisfy, uh, the, you know, allow me to cross off items on the list of things I, I feel like I need to get to keep advancing my career and to like build my electric guitar rig and shit like that. And then an ad popped up with all this pro level gear, like really cool stuff. Um, so really, really like interesting stuff. Um, and like at the bottom and a lot of super expensive stuff, like the whole ad is probably like $20,000, well, 10 to $20,000, let's say worth of gear. Um, at the bottom were some like cheaper, less expensive guitar related items, a pedal board and a pedal board power supply, which I picked up. Um, it's like, I've been thinking about buying a new like pedal train pedal board, like to put all my effects pedals on, um, and the power supply for the pedals, but God damn, that shit is so obscenely expensive. So to see that pop up in a Craigslist ad for like less than a hundred dollars, like I had to scoop it up. So I emailed, um, started texting and like the guys like, Hey, I noticed the 608 area code. I'm from Wisconsin. I, I actually grew up in Stevens point. I'm like, Holy shit. Um, so I, I had been sort of thinking, wow, this might be John Dietrich from Deerhoof because it's like all this like cool gear, like a solid state Pierce guitar amplifier, which was kind of the giveaway, but I, you know, I couldn't know for sure. Uh, then he said he was from Wisconsin, which was a curveball because I had no idea any of the members of Deerhoof were from Wisconsin. So I wasn't quite sure, but it was uh, nevertheless really like bizarre, like Stevens Point, like I lived in Stevens Point. I, I grew, I was born in Wisconsin Rapids, which is near Stevens Point. I, I lived just a few miles south of Stevens Point, Wisconsin, a university town in the center of the state. Um, so to like have another person in Albuquerque say, hey, Stevens Point, like nobody's heard of Stevens Point. Um, 
So that's pretty rad. Uh, anyway, I, I made a deal with him to, to meet in the Applebee's parking lot uh, yesterday afternoon. And like I saw him pull up and yay, sure enough, it's John Dietrich from Deerhoof, just as I suspected. And fuck, I didn't know he was from Wisconsin also. And so uh, it was like 105 degrees and we're out there in the parking lot with our masks on. And I'm like, hey, you're John from Deerhoof. And he's like, yeah, that's that's me. I'm like, hey, I'm a fan. And I I, I handled it pretty non-awkwardly. I'm, I'm pretty... <laughs> Pretty proud of myself uh, for for that. Anyway, it was just cool to um, to to meet him and like he's a, he's a, like a super fucking nice guy and we like chatted there despite the oppressive heat and sunlight in the Applebee's parking lot on uh, in in uh, near the airport in uh, Albuquerque. Uh, we talked gear. Like he mentioned, like he actually lived in Bancroft, Wisconsin. Which like if it blew your mind that he was from, if it blew my mind that he actually lived in Stevens Point or grew up in Stevens Point. It, it only blew my mind more and scattered the pieces even farther away from my brain, my, my brainstem, uh, my spine, my spinal column to learn that he lived in Bancroft for a time. I, I feel like texting him and following up on that because it's like, what the fuck? What are you doing in Bancroft? Bancroft was the specific little population 200 town, Pop, like literally population 200 unincorporated little nothing blip off the interstate. Um, where that's where my dad farmed and that's where I grew up. And that's where John Dietrich of Deerhoof, one of my favorite bands of all time, also lived for, for a little bit. Um, so that was fucking crazy, uh, to meet that guy. We had met before, like at a, at a show, like I said, hello once, but like not formally, um, like, like this, uh, I didn't shake hands or anything. Like we're both like about COVID, like not, no cash. It was a Venmo. It was a digital, digital transaction. Um, yeah, it was cool. Like he, he mentioned he'd like to see me play sometime. Like that's, that's totally rad. So, um, I, I kind of want to buy some more gear from him. Like he's got some cool effects pedals and, uh, studio stuff, microphones, um, like all sorts of stuff. Like I would really love to have for myself. And, uh, I think he's just selling it because it's like redundant ba backup stuff basically. Um, so yeah, that was really cool. I met uh, John Dietrich from Deerhoof over the weekend. Um, and it was just like a cool, a cool time. Uh, it was just a cool time for like 10 minutes in the parking lot and having him explain like how to mount the, uh, yeah, power supply to the board, and yeah, and I, I got a pedal board, and I'm going to be uh, talking more about gear on uh, in the next uh, in the bonus episode, episode 13 and a half. Uh, let's see what else is going on. We took a little vacation at a bed and breakfast with a pool in the hundred degree heat. Boy, that sure was nice. Um, we did that on Wednesday and Thursday. I did some reading. I started reading the Mia Birdsong book, How We Show Up: Reclaiming Family, Friendship, and Community. Um, it's great. I'm about 50 pages in, um, there's uh, like, Annie's been ordering all these books. Uh, there's also me and white supremacy by Layla F. Saad. I'm going to be reading that one. Um, yeah, stuff like that's going on. Ah, so relaxation, but also like tension, like, uh, is, is happening. Like I, I am anxious often. I I'm finding like, I'm feeling some sad and lonely feelings. Like it's been an, an it's been an emotional time around here, uh, personally. Um, and, uh, maybe I'll get more into that in the, in the next episode. Uh, we'll see, but, um, yeah, that's going to do it for the, uh, the intro. I'm going to be back for the main meat 
of this episode. Um, again, like visit the website mattcollick.com for more information on me and to sign up for the email list. Visit patreon.com forward slash mattcollick, M-A-T-T-K-O-L-L-O-C-K, uh, to sign up at the $5 tier to receive bonus episodes. And uh, stick around for the next segment. I'm going to talk about where the music comes from. Thanks for being here, friends. I'll see you in just a minute. Welcome back. Less than a minute. Less than a minute, as it turns out. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, John Dietrich from, from Deerhoof. I would, I would love to, like, have him be on the podcast, too, obviously. But um, I kind of don't want to talk to too many other, like, white guys. So, um yeah, I I, th- I think like maybe maybe some of you are wondering. Well, fuck, you should ask him to be on the podcast, and you can talk about gear and music and all that. And yeah, some someday I think that would be really cool. But I, I kind of like if I'm going to do interviews, like I want to talk to some more diverse and, and different non-white, non-straight white male voices, um, because that that's important to me and important to this show. Um, yeah. So so the podcast, and we're we're talking today today about. Where does the music come from? Um, I often think of myself as like part of a musical lineage, or I, or I, I should say, um, I should say it's useful in my mind to think of myself as part of a musical lineage. Um, so not just thinking of myself in this time trying to do what I'm trying to do, whatever it is I'm trying to do with music. It's thinking of myself as a part of something greater, as part of a, as, as a line uh, of a line and like a patchwork and a, like a, like a mosaic and, and a quilt of musicians. Like there's, it's not just a line, like it branches off in many other directions, but there's like sort of a line, if you think of it linearly of like, I guess, white, I guitar playing, um, maybe progressive or spiritual or mystical minded or like some combination of the three. It's people like, uh, let's say Neil Young, uh, like John Lennon and, uh, maybe Paul McCartney and certainly George Harrison, uh, Bob Dylan, Tom Petty, the members of the traveling Wilburys, let's say, but also like punk rock people like, um, like Joe Strummer, definitely my lineage. Uh, but and there's there's also all the guitar players. But it's mostly like sort of like the classic rock tradition of people and uh, uh, classic rock up through like punk rock and like new wave and alternative grunge. Like I, I feel like it's all kind of like there's a thread, a very strong thread that that runs through it. That's very white and very male, very guitar dominated. Um, but also like ostensibly like forward thinking and progressive minded mostly um and often like influenced by black people influenced by black artists um that's the lineage i'm i feel like i'm i'm part of and it's like it makes me feel weird because that's like not necessarily the music oh david byrne and the talking heads like quirky music like that so there's like if I had to narrow it down, it's sort of like the David Byrne, Neil Young, uh, not that they have anything to do with each other, but it's like I'm seeing a line that that runs through like those two guys and like the members of R.E.M. 
and me and like the traveling Wilburys also. <laughs> That's like my lineage. That's like the tradition I'm sort of carrying on, like the, the on the quirky end of it, the ween side of it. So like you could add ween to the mix too. Certainly like influenced by black artists, influenced by the classic rock tradition, uh, influenced by punk rock. So that is the lineage. Um, that lineage for all its progressive mindedness and forward thinking that I keep talking about has not been kind, has not been kind to black artists. Like, uh, that lineage also includes like the British invasion bands who were just like playing American blues music back to Americans, but it's like from black people translated through these British bands and like two white audiences in America who would rather listen to the British white bands do it than listen to the people in, in their own country, uh, do it. Um, and it's bands like Led Zeppelin who like famously like took writing credit for songs, well-known blues songs by people like Willie Dixon. Um, and a lot, and they and they rightfully get a lot of flack for that. Like that's, like I can't imagine shittier behavior. Um, and it's like it's also John Lennon basically saying, "I wrote the song Imagine." Well, not really. It's Yoko. Obviously, it's Yoko Ono's song. Those lyrics, like that's like what comes out of Yoko Ono's mouth. Like that is pure Yoko Ono, Yoko Ono Lennon, um, and John Ono Lennon decided to just take songwriting credit for it because like, that's like, I'm the guy in the band I'm, or I'm the, I'm, I'm, I'm the musician. I'm the person who does the music thing. And so I'm taking the credit as the songwriter. It didn't even occur to him to give Yoko his wife credit for her obvious contributions. Um, and like all the bands who did, did blues music, from Britain, like the Rolling Stones are not much better than Led Zeppelin in the regard that I, that I talked about them stealing. It's just that they gave them songwriting credit. They gave the, the writers songwriting credit. They were still like stealing the music even more so, I, I would argue, than, than a band like Led Zeppelin. So it's not like Led Zeppelin stole everything from black people. They just like did the same thing all the bands were doing um, and like didn't give the writers credit. Um it's, it's, um, that's the lineage. And so as I take this lineage forward, um, like I want to, I want to heal the hurts and, and the injuries caused by my lineage. And, and like, what can I do about that? That's the thing I want to talk about, or that's the thing I want to explore and think about. I, I don't know exactly how to do that other than everything I mentioned in the previous episode. Um, so the music, where does it come from? It's, it comes from the air. <laughs> um, it comes, it's, it's, it's vibrations that exist. It's rhythms that exist. Music has existed before humans. It's like, it's like, where does math come from? Like the truths about math exist. Like the realities of one thing and another thing equals two things is, is like, and everything else that is true in math, um, was all those things were real before humans existed, just like music is real before humans existed. It's sound, it's vibration, it's things happening at certain intervals, it's rhythms, it's, um, you know, the, the sounds of nature. And now, and in, and once humans are added to the mix, it's the heartbeat, it's the breathing, it's the, it's the walking, it's the stomping and clapping, like, 
all these things that happen in rhythm and combination. It's the, it's the, there's, there's a sound and there's a sound that's higher pitched and a sound that's lower pitched. Um, like it's, it's all music. It all existed before humans had anything to do with it. Um, and I feel like the idea of authorship of music, of, of naming a creator, of being a publisher of music is like, it's such a new, it's such a novel kind of weird, quirky thing that's happened. I feel like music is not really so much about authorship. It's about like finding these grooves in the air that just exist and then expressing yourself through them. Uh, this is what like blues music has been about. It's what folk music has been about. It's, it's about like patterns through which people express themselves. But somewhere along the line, there was a fork in the road where sort of white European traditions started forming that were meant to, I guess, separate certain classes from the riffraff, from the lower classes. And so you have things like order and you have things like like saying syncopation is 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 a is a is a tool of the devil. Um of saying the uh, the flatted fifth interval is the devil's interval. It's saying that you aren't supposed to clap or make noise or cause any commotion during a performance. It's it's about order and precision, um, and anything but like authentic feeling and expression in the moment. Um, and so there are those two sort of big traditions that exist. Um, there's, there's the sort of like expression and feeling and music is just like, like taking air and making sound. Um, it's like the most divine thing there is. It, it is, I think everything is a, like, I, I believe everything is a vibration. Everything is ultimately a sound and music and sound is, is the architecture of everything. And music is sort of that idea brought to its, its highest, most beautiful level, um, and it's what allows the expression, um, which fuels the architecture, which allows the expression. It's just this cycle that happens. And to say that anybody authors music, that's a thing that comes from the other tradition, sort of the European tradition, where somebody can say, I am the author of this piece of music. This is my contribution to the canon. And these are the characteristics of my music and how I write it. And so these days we have music that is kind of the combination of those two things. And, and it's, it's the combination, it's like forces, uh, uh, it's like people and movements and scenes and cultures being forced together, uh, often without consent given for any of that happening. Um, there's an article that I don't know why I'm doing this po podcast, honestly, because this article exists by Wesley Morris in the New York Times, uh, part of the 1619 Project, which uh, was an exploration basically of 400 years of slavery. Um, there were articles in the mag in in uh, New York Times magazine, as well as a podcast on um, that the New York Times produced uh, for the 1619 Project. And I listened to the the podcast that uh, Wesley Morris was a guest on, in which he explained uh, this piece he wrote. Uh, as part of the 1619 Project. Uh, Wesley Morris is a, is a great journalist. He's a black man um, and a fantastic writer. Uh, he used to write for one of my favorite websites, Grantland, and that's how I became familiar with his work. Um, he published this article on August 14th of last year, 2019, that um, really explains this whole topic better than 
like it's impossible. It's this it's huge, huge mosaic encyclopedic like you can't understand it all at once. But I think he's probably the one person who comes closest to being able to understand it and explain like, what is music in this culture and how did we get here and who owns what or does anybody own anything? Um, and can we really blame Kenny Loggins for singing the way he does? Um, this article Wesley Morris wrote, like, it, it starts um, at, a, at a dinner party uh, listening to Pandora, Pandora's Yacht Rock station. Uh, it takes us through minstrelsy. And it ends up with um, um, Billy, uh, Little Nas X and Billy Ray Cyrus um, charting a course into the future. Um, God damn, it's beautiful. It makes me cry just thinking about it. I uh, almost want to cry just thinking about it. Um, and it's... Um, it's, it's, it's the water we all swim in this music and it's like so much of it comes from black culture and so much of it comes from white people stealing um elements of black culture well not not stealing but here's the way i see it like black culture gave rise to an ability for black artists through tremendous suffering to tap into emotional spaces where they were able to receive the most powerful music. Um, and so then you have a, a sort of amorphic resonance situation where once that music was received and expressed, it was undeniable. Um, it could not be contained. It would not be contained just within black culture. Um, and it, it, it knew no boundaries. It permeated everything. And just like how runners after Roger Bannister broke the four minute mile runners all over the world just started being able to run the mile under four minutes. Um, once in America, black people were able to tap into the the music, the music that is the music today, um, like nothing was ever the same. Um, and so, and, and it, it got to the point where like, it was so powerful that that's, that's what gave rise to minstrelsy in the mid 1800s, uh, the same time, like before and, and during and after the civil war, um, People would go to these performances of white people putting blackface on, singing songs meant to portray black people at play, when just down the road, black people, real black people, were suffering and not being allowed to play. Um, it was the white European tradition with its order and precision and um, and, and vocal purity, um, and lack of noise or distortion, um, but paired with instruments like the banjo and the tambourine, um, like it's, it's all these things coming together. Um, and minstrelsy as, as, is is explained in this article by Wesley Morris is so much of the backdrop of all the music that has become popular ever since the entire latter half of the 19th century, the entirety of the 20th century, and now all the way as far as we are into the 21st century. Um, 
this is awkward stuff to talk about, but it's, I think it's important to talk about and important to like share my perspective on it. And I, I hope you read this article by, by Wesley Morris in, as part of the 1619 project. Um, anyway, back, back to my notes. Um, my first musical heroes were people like Michael Jackson and BB King. Um, I remember seeing BB King on the tonight show, um, with when Johnny Carson hosted it, this, I, this I'm sure was before I started playing guitar myself, but it's like one of the first things that made me want to play guitar. And the first thing that things that made me interested in what, what one might call black music, like music that comes from black culture, blues music in this case. Um, and the way he expressed himself, um, on the guitar, not playing a series of notes, but expressing himself through the instrument that opened something up in me, uh, listening to Michael Jackson opened something up in me, just the, the, the power of expression that one could accomplish through the voice and the, the different things the human voice can do and the, and the different things that rhythm can do, um, this I knew was music that was powerful and music that meant something to me. But culturally, as I grew up and and you know through adolescence, like I knew it wasn't my music culturally. Um, and I feel like this is what we all do. We have to put on music like it's clothes, like they are accessories that we wear. Um, and so we don't often like like I, I get a chance to like. The music I love, I feel like it found me, even though it's not the, the the culturally appropriate music for me. Like it wasn't like what I eventually listened to. Uh, the music I eventually listened to was all the classic rock stuff, which like I still have a soft spot in my heart for a lot of it today because like that's like it's nostalgia. It's all those guitar players I listen to that I, I sound like that I've amalgamated all their styles into. Um but it's the classic rock stuff. It's the safe white stuff that was on all the safe white radio stations where I lived. It's like the hair metal, uh, you know, Guns N' Roses, Poison, uh, Motley Crue, all that stuff that I listened to. And then going into like the classic rock and the progressive rock and like white people music. Um, yeah, often music influenced strongly by by black artists. Um, but that was the music like I was supposed to listen to. And then in high school, hip hop exploded like the, on the mid, in the mid early to mid nineties, hip hop exploded on the scene. And that was, I was in high school from like 91 through 95, um, which is basically the golden era of, of hip hop. Um, I, I think people argue maybe it goes through 97, 98, uh, maybe 99. I don't know. Um, like I wasn't into hip hop at that, at that time, but all my friends were all my white suburban, not even suburban, like country friends were into hip hop. Um, and like, I was like, I was not moved by hip hop at the time, but I was like, at that time I was like getting into black music too. It, it manifested in me by like getting more like into, I remembered BB King. I remembered the blues. I, I was getting into Stevie Ray Vaughan, of course, like all the other white guitar players at that er in that era. Um, but then going back and listening to all the, the blues musicians he was influenced by. Um, and like, I was getting more and more into like just listening to the music I actually liked. These days, 
that's basically all there is. And it's mostly music by people who don't look like me, who aren't like me. Uh, yeah, definitely a lot of white people still, definitely a lot of white people still who are part of that classic rock canon and that tradition. Um, but um, I listen to, to more artists now from other places, and I definitely listen to more women, and I definitely listen to more black artists because, like, that's the good shit. That's the good music, like people who are making music in that tradition. Something that Wesley Morris writes about um, in the, that article I mentioned is that it's also, it's about, and it's something I alluded to before too, it's a platform for the expression of an individual. Um, that's what I want to do in music. But I also like recognize like there's the power of structure and songwriting and all that. So like I'm creating the platform and I'm creating the expression um, and it's all, um, I recognize that so much of it comes from black culture, what I'm doing. And it's like, do I, do I get to play like shuffle rhythms? Like, where's the line? Do I get to play blues licks? Do I like, um, David Byrne talks about in his book, how music works, which I recommend highly. Um, he's a person I respect tremendously. He talks about as he was forming the talking heads, um, how, it was important for him to like, there were funky rhythms, but like, he didn't want to sing like a black man. Like at the, at that point, there were so many white men who sang like black men or tried to sing like black men. And it often manifested as a, like, if you listen to Bob Weir, try to do his, uh, like his, his, his sexy man rocking like soul man, Bob thing or whatever they call it. Like, it's just like a lot of like, not good screaming like and like wailing that's like it must it it hurts to listen to and i imagine it hurt to do it whereas the way <laughs> like like gifted you know artists in the black tradition saying it's like effortless it's effortless like you don't hear bb king struggling when he's singing um or any of those blues artists struggling it's just it's just tumbling out of them with ease um anyway where was I going with that? Um, I, I was, I was getting into like more like, yeah. Okay. David Byrne singing like a black man. So he, he said, no, you didn't want to do that. And that's something like, God, I grew up like learning how to sing. I was in a blues band and I was like singing like a black man and not pulling it off probably worse than Bob Weir. Um, and I still have those tendencies today. Like I still have so many tendencies that come from learning how to play music without regard to any, any racial justice issues, without any regard to anything like appropriation or whether I have the right to, uh, to perform in a certain way or use certain rhythms or vocal stylings or, or what have you. And as it turns out, that's the way most of us come up in music and most of us come up influenced by by white artists and black artists by black artists who are influenced by white artists by white artists who are influenced by black artists who are influenced by white artists who are influenced by black artists and so on and so forth by people who actually did steal shit from other artists and by people who actually collaborated uh willingly and with consent with other artists um it's just so complicated um and i want to be 
Like, I don't think I'm going to play the blues straight up anymore. Like, why? It would just be boring anyway. It wouldn't be like an authentic expression of me anyway. Um, But it's going to come out. Like, blues music is going to come out of me. And I don't know if I can help that. And I feel like it would be stupid to stop it, to like, in the middle of like trying to express myself, to, to, to give space to the thought of, I don't know if that's right to like, who cares? Like, it doesn't matter. Music is something that existed before anybody had any thoughts about it. Music is something that existed before race existed. Um, and here we are. And like, I can be mindful. I can make decisions. But um, I'm going to, I'm and I'm pr- trying to progress as a musician. I'm trying to get rid of the bad habits and to try to like emote and express myself authentically that's not in a way that's like Matt you're just like trying to like sound black right now be honest with yourself like you're trying to rather than be emotional and and like pull your diaphragm down and like sing authentically and and like really get to the heart of the emotion of it to fuel the performance rather than going about it intellectually. Like I want to sound like buddy guy sings right now, um, which is like, that's fucking gross. Um, I can't not be influenced by what I was influenced by. Um, and so that's just going to come out, but I can control the choices I make in terms of like the, the, the platforms I create for myself to, to, to make those expressions. Um, I can choose like who I collaborate with as I, as I create music. I, and I don't know how that's going to work because I like to just write alone, but I can be more mindful as I, as I, as I write my songs, but also like it's what being mindful means. I have to remember is that being, being mindful of, okay, is this something that I'm taking from someone or some culture? Because, I want to sound a certain way or I want to be cool like that. Or is it me just like, I don't know where that come from, came from. I just started playing it and it came out effortlessly. Like that's what I have to be mindful of. So if it's in the latter category, that's good. If it's in the former category, not so good. Um, yeah, this is so complicated. I hope I'm doing all right. Oh, uh, excuse me. Have a sip of water quick. I mentioned in the previous episode a little bit about uh, Rick Rubin talking about how he came up and what he was interested in was music that came from the street level, uh, the underclass, white and black, uh, punk rock, hip hop, people without privilege. Um, like what happened to that representation for white artists? That's really interesting. Um, it's like, um, and this is just from my notes and maybe this fit better in the previous episode, but anyway, like. The only punk rock that's made now is by bands whose members have fathers in entertainment law. It's rich kids. It's like that's the music industry today. Like there's nothing like everything good comes from the bottom up. Everything good comes from the bottom up. And sometimes like it gets popular and sometimes it gets widespread. But then it's like everything kind of desiccates and dies too. Like things get big and bloated and and they, they don't work anymore and they don't serve people anymore and they need to like break up. Um, like that's, that's the way shit should go. But everything, it all comes from the bottom up. Everything, 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 all the creation, all the expression I have comes from the deepest part of me. It comes from the like the, the, the deepest, the depths of my depression and anxiety. Um, it comes from the, the, the joy I feel, uh, and the bliss I feel from psychedelic experiences and the truth I feel from those experiences too. Um, 
God, I'm just rambling right now. Um, I know the music is good when it comes from that spot versus like, I want to be like this artist. But then I also have to acknowledge like, that's part of music too, honestly, is, is like stealing from other people at first, but you have to graduate from it. And any artist will, will tell you, like, I learned how to do what I do from first learning exactly note for note what this other person did. Like, I learned how to play guitar when I found this beat up guitar in the basement. And then I grabbed a copy of this, this guitar tablature magazine from the grocery store that for some reason was stocking guitar magazines. Um, and it had tablature in it. And I figured out, oh, those numbers on that grid represent where you're supposed to put your fingers on the fretboard of the guitar. Um, and so I learned how to play like, 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 um, shit, what was it? Like there was, there were a couple Led Zeppelin songs and like a Van Halen song. It might've been like their version of you really got me something like that. Um, music does come from stealing. Like that's, that's, that really is part of it. And so like, music needs to be free and open. And this is what black culture has allowed for is the freedom. That is the gift black culture has given us is the ability to explore music with absolute freedom, uh, to use it as a platform to, of expression, um, to use it to get through the hardest parts of life, the most joyful parts of life, to have it not just be in the background and have it be the architecture of experience of, of existence um, truly to be the vibration that fuels life, that fuels everything on this planet. Um, this is a perspective on music that I don't think we would have without black culture in, in this culture, in our culture, in, in Western culture today. Um, our music would be so fucking boring if they, if they hadn't been able to access that. Um, and to, and to show us that music can be this. And in fact, this is what music is supposed to be. Um, and boy, some really fun stuff happens when we combine those ideals with the ideals of the European Western canon of, of music, where things are so precise and like just kind of pretty and pure and all that sort of thing. But boy, if we combine sort of the, the noisiness and grit and growl and expression, I keep using expression, but like the realness the authenticity of music that comes from black culture. We combine that like good things happen and black artists have been doing it for a long time. Uh, white artists have been doing it too, but not uh, with the proper consent necessarily and not necessarily by acknowledging like this isn't me. This isn't me doing this. This is something else. I'm just feeling this. Um, and I think all this shit works out so much better when we're in a model that doesn't create celebrities, when we're in a model where like uh, artists like express themselves directly to the, to the people without the infrastructure of celebrity and entertainment, the entertainment industry, um, man, there was an article. Um, I want to talk about another article, an article, um, not an article, but, um, Back in the uh, in the 1980s, when MTV was first becoming a thing, uh, and this is there have been articles coming out about this uh, lately. Um, now that people are talking more honestly and openly about uh, like being black in our culture and what that means and how it means you're subject to a lot of uh, discrimination and just institutionalized racism, um, and the fact that white people, like well-meaning white people who consider themselves not racist, 
are actually racist and are actually supporting and working within uh, and promoting these systems. So back in 1983, uh, MTV was new on the scene. Uh, David Bowie came on MTV. He was interviewed by the VJ Mark Goodman, white guy, both white guys, of course. Um, And it's really something like David Bowie, who authentically was influenced and um, inspired by black artists like of course, of course, like, like he wears it on his sleeve. And I don't, and I think David Bowie is pretty open about his, like, like his gratitude for, for that music and what it means to him. Um, and, and wanting to work with black musicians and like, he's, he's honestly a really good model for, for what I'm trying to do now that I think about it. Um, like I was just listening to an interview with Niall Rogers of, of Chic and like the producer and famous guitar player who has had hits in like every decade uh, since the beginning of time. Uh, he worked with David Bowie and let's, let's dance. Like David Bowie worked with all the cool people, uh, gave people credit, I believe uh, when it was due and always uh, talked with great, tremendous gratitude about what black culture meant to him and, and what the music meant to him. Anyway, uh, during this interview on MTV back in 1983, um, Bowie kind of turned the table on on the VJ, Mark Goodman. Uh, his quote is, he, he said, I'm just floored by the fact that there are so few black artists featured on MTV. Why is that? Um, Mark Goodman was, was uh, well, well, uh, uh, he was uh, on his heels, kind of. He said, uh, quote, trying to move in that direction, MTV, but they were focused on narrow casting. Um, what else did he say? He said that MTV not only had to—I'm getting this from the Consequence of Sound article on this, um, by the way, uh, consequenceofsound.net. You can go there if you want to read the actual article. But the versions of this article are all over the place. If you just search Bowie, MTV, Black Artists, something like that. Um, Goodman said MTV had to play not only to coastal hubs, but also, quote, some town in the Midwest that would be be scared to death by Prince— which we're playing, or a string of other black faces and black music. Ouch! So Bowie says, oh, isn't that interesting? Um, Goodman, uh, he doesn't even realize he's just suggested MTV was trying to appease rural white parts of the country it considered racist. Um, Goodman goes on to say, uh, uh, let's see, what, 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 what does the music like the Isley Brother or the Spinners and those classic black artists, what do they mean to a 17-year-old? Um, if you talk on the, on the phones to these guys like I did when I was in radio, it's scary. Damn, what a shitty thing. Uh, Bowie interrupts him, thankfully. Well, I'll tell you what it means. I'll tell you what, uh, what maybe the Isley Brothers or Marvin Gaye means to a black 17-year-old. Surely he's part of America as well. Do you not find that it's a frightening predicament to be in? Um. Bowie says it should be a challenge to try and make the media far more integrated, especially, if anything, in musical terms. Um, Goodman responds, hey, it's starting to happen. White musicians are now starting to play more than ever what black artists have been into. Um, As if black music is only appropriate when it's uh, performed by white musicians, uh, which is so a thing. Like, again, Rick Rubin producing Run DMC like knew he could make Run DMC popular if he could get it in white America's heads that, hey, this isn't so different. This is what Steven Tyler, you know, the white artist you know and love, was doing back in the 70s. Like he was doing kind of a, a primitive version 
of this. Uh, like he was playing with rhythm. Um, like they had to show that, hey, white people do this too. Of course, I, I don't want to say like Steven Tyler was some kind of godfather of hip hop. Like, no, he was just like doing like a talking blues kind of thing. But that was a little sped up. Uh, that wasn't really paying attention to any melodic thing. Like it, it's part of a white country t- tradition that was sped up and, and to this groovy doom. To that kind of beat uh, resembles what later we came to know as rap music. Um, so was the Steven Tyler innovator of rap? No, no. Um, certainly an excellent performer and fantastic vocalist. Um, anyway, <laughs> where the fuck was I going with that? Uh, Steven Tyler, Walk This Way, Rick Rubin. Uh, oh, Eminem, like, uh, you know, the Beastie Boys, uh, white artists like Pat Boone. <laughs> Um, white artists playing music, uh, like already done by black artists, like, but this idea that it has to be like toned down or and sanitized for white audiences, like that's fucking offensive. I don't think that's true. Like white audiences don't need that shit. Like, like just express yourself. Um, anyway, that's the David Bowie thing. Uh, he was talking about this back in 1983. Um, And like, that's just an example, like institutionalized racism. Mark Goodman didn't think he was being racist. He was just saying, well, hey, think about it. You know, you got to think of the people in white America. They don't want to see all these black people. Like, that's fucking racism. Um, Like, and guess what? Black people live in those places too. So, uh, yeah. And, and it doesn't matter ultimately because when it comes to music, like people just listen to what they listen to. They find what they want to listen to. Um, they eventually do what I did and get out of the, the, I'm supposed to listen to this because this is the music that people in my culture listen to and people who look like me listen to. Ah, yeah. So what else we got here for this one? Um, uh, I, I think that's basically... Everything I want to say, read How Music Works by David Byrne, um, or, you know, after you read works by, by black authors. Uh, let's see. Read that article by, by Wesley Morris uh, and listen to the podcast uh, from the 1619 Project. Really, really good stuff. And that episode specifically and that article specifically about music was really, really, really cool and, and totally up my alley. And um, it's so thorny and complicated. And I think Wesley Morris's conclusion was that was basically what I what I believe, although he says it far more eloquently and entertainingly than I do, that like, here we are. How, how are we going to go forward? Like, there's Billy Ray Cyrus alongside Lil Nas X. Like, that's how I want to be. I want to be down for the ride. Like I'm, I'm like crying thinking about it. I, it's, it's emotional. Um, but it's like, I, w- I want to do what's best for the music, um, to heal what my lineage has, has, the harms my lineage has caused, um, to not dominate, but to also like find the space where I express myself and where I get to exist. Um, and to be alongside the people who are leading the way. Um, to be down for the ride. So, woo, good shit, good shit. I just clipped, I just, I just clipped the microphone, uh, but that's okay. If it happens once, it's not going to ruin the whole thing. <laughs> and I just clipped it again. Okay, okay. I need to take a break. I'm going to uh, come come back and wrap this episode up. Uh, thanks, guys, for listening to me ramble. I'll, I'll be right back.
Okay, guys, we did it. We did it. There's another episode of the Matt Colic Show. Woo! All right, episode 13, 13. Uh, it's in the can. I hope you stick around and uh, check your feed. It should also include episode 14, unless I change my mind, but I'm going to go right into recording that one uh, as soon as I'm done with this one. So that one should be available. I'm going to talk about like becoming a guitar hero in that one. So that'll be interesting. Uh, thank you so much. I will I will uh, see you in that episode. Check out the bonus episodes on Patreon. There will be another one, as I said, talking all about gear. Uh, that is episode 13.5. So technically the next one in the chain is episode 13.5, but that's Patreon only. Um, if you subscribe at the $5 tier, you can listen to all the bonus episodes. I try to put out a couple a month. I didn't in June. So maybe I'll put out like extras here in July. We'll see. I'll, I'll do my best. Uh, just like I'm putting out this extra, uh, episode 14 will be sort of an extra one, uh, in the main feed. So I'm going to do more there. Check out the Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash Matt Colick. That's M-A-T-T-K-O-L-L-O-C-K. Uh, what else? Um, Visit the website if you haven't already. That's mattcollock.com and sign up for the email list. Um, that way you will be the first to learn about everything that's going on in my world. Um, I, I guess that's everything. Uh, rate and review the podcast on, on Apple Podcasts and uh, do all the stuff podcasters ask you to do. Uh, but do it for me, too. Um, all right, you guys. Thanks so much for being here. I love you. And uh, shine on. <laughs> <laughs>